Hey guys, welcome to Telling the Told and Untold. My name is Soho. most of us know June is Pride Month so I have decided to cover cases that have happened in the LGBTQIA plus community so if there are any specific cases you would like me to cover this month please leave them in the case suggestion link that I have down in the description box below. Before we go straight into today's video I do have to give you guys a couple of content warnings. In this video I do talk about S assault and suicide however I don't go into too much detail about either of them but still if that's not something you think you're interested in watching then this video probably isn't for you. So maybe you can check out some of my other videos or just wait for my next upload. Today I'm going to be telling you guys about Anisha and Joey Fanny Garg. There isn't much information about how either of them grew up, but what I can tell you is that on the 5th of November 2014, the pair got married and after this Anisha bought a plot of land in Moinoy, which is in the northwest, and Moinoy is described as a small farming community and everyone just knows everyone. Both of their families were really accepting of their relationship and Anisha's brother says that she could just tell they were going to be life partners. They just loved each other so much. They were so respectful in their relationship and anytime they would walk into the room, they would just light it up. Joey had two siblings, their names were Rena and Lawrence and when they were younger, their parents did get a divorce and after this, Joey's father did have full custody of the three children but they would still go see their mother all the time and their father was because like he was their primary caregiver he was just like their everything they looked up to him he was their hero but unfortunately on the 4th of december 2017 he passed away he passed away that Monday and then that Saturday, Joey decided to invite her sister Rina, her brother Lokwebus and their children to their house, like the plot of land that they had bought and they were just going to set up a presentation that they were going to show the church of pictures of their father and then they decided to have a braai, so they were braaiing, they were drinking, they were listening to their dad's favorite songs, you know, just like mourning and celebrating life and they did this that whole like Saturday afternoon Saturday night and Lawrence was also there I'm not too sure when he left but later in the night Quibus decided to call it a night so he went to bed in one of the bed he went to bed in one of the bedrooms and he went to bed with his children as well and he left Rina Joey and Anisha outside and they still continued drinking partying like mourning crying and yeah the next morning on the 10th of December around half past 6 to 7 a.m. Kuebis, Rina and their children decided to go home so they said their goodbyes to Anisha and Joey and they went home. Not too long after that they decided to call the couple and just check on them but they didn't answer the phone but they didn't think it was strange or anything because they were like you know what they spent the whole of Saturday like drinking, partying so they're probably just tired. Also it's a Sunday so they're probably just like resting you know they don't want to be bothered and they just left it at that Monday rolled around and the couple still weren't answering their phones 
and this is when panic started setting in. Anisha's brother then received a phone call from their younger brother and he called Anisha's brother to let him know that he was worried because Anisha and Joey hadn't showed up for the appointment that they had that day. So they had an appointment at a funeral home in Pretoria which is about an hour, an hour and a half away from Moenoi and the appointment was set between I think 10 and 11 a.m. So they waited there until around 12 and the couple still hadn't shown up and that's when they just left the appointment and still kept trying to call them and still both of them didn't answer their phones. Then at around 1am, Corbis decided to call Lawrence and told him that no listen, um, something is wrong, we have to go to Anisha and Joey's house and just check on them and just make sure that they're okay. So Quibus went to their like house, the plot of land, and once he got there, he couldn't get onto the property because there was a gate and this gate was locked. And he also couldn't tell whether their cars were there. So um, Anisha had a white, a Nissan X-Trail and Joey had a Suzuki. Uh, yeah. Eventually, Cuevas managed to get onto the property. I'm not too sure how. And then he got the help of Cuevas Stredom, who I'll talk about just now. So Cuevas also lived on the same property that Anisha and Joey lived on. So they had like, I think there were like three buildings next to their like house. And those buildings they rented out. So Cuevas got Cuevas uh, to help him look around the house. So they went around the house. They were looking and nothing really jumped out to them but Quibus did notice that Joey's new handbag that she had bought just a week earlier as well as a pair of new shoes that she had gotten were still in the house. About four or five hours after searching the house Quibus called Lawrence and told him that he was at the Moinoi police station and he was opening up a missing persons report for both Joey and Anisha Fanigark and immediately the police took this missing persons report very serious and all their information they had was that they were last seen on Sunday, they weren't answering either of their phones, one car was missing and that was about it but they still took it pretty serious and started investigating and trying to find the couple. Monday night, this is when the family decided to call Kuas Stridom and just ask him if he had any information. So as I mentioned earlier, Kuas is the one that helped them search the house and Kuas had a panel beating shop on the property and he's described as someone like that you couldn't trust. He has prison tattoos all over his arms and by his eye and he's also been described as a very like dodgy character. Yeah, like... He just wasn't someone that you'd look at and be like, hmm, I could use your help or like, you'd be very helpful, you know what I mean? When they asked Quiz if he had any information for them, he said that he last saw the couple that same Monday at around 9am at a petrol station and he saw them in a Toyota Legend with two other women and he says he knew one of the women, he had seen her before, not necessarily like knew what her name was or anything like that but her face was familiar because he had seen her at Anisha and Joey's house before and then he said that Joey 
Joey asked if he could go to their house quickly and fetch her phone for him because she had left it so he did that and then he returned and gave her this phone that she wanted and then they left and that's the last time that he saw them. Immediately after hearing this the family went to that same petrol station and they just wanted to see if they had any CCTV footage and if they did they asked um, if they could watch it and see if they could see Anisha or Joey on it as well as this Toyota legend and after looking at the CCTV footage that the petrol station had there was no indication that they had been at this petrol station and there was no Toyota legend there at around the same time that Gwes said he last saw them. Gwes's story would constantly change and the family noticed this and they thought it was very odd and this is when they started suspecting that maybe he had something to do with their disappearance or he knew more than he was letting on. By the 12th of December, police officers had already set up two task teams to look for Anisha and Joey Fanigark. Police officers also decided that they wanted to start searching for the woman, so they asked um, their families to join them in the search. And this was just because in case they found any evidence linking to the two women, the family would be able to identify it and would also kind of just like speed up the process. So they decided to go first searching on Gwis's farm. So Gwis had a farm where his family and workers stayed and it wasn't too far away from the panel from his panel beating shop that was on Anisha and Joey's property. So police officers got there and they just noticed how strange it was like there were high walls surrounding the whole farm which they thought was very weird for like a farm you know it also had a lookout tower which is very strange for a farm and you couldn't access it from the outside you have to be like inside the home to access this lookout tower they also noticed there was this weird area sort of that had like two walls and a pavement that led um outside of Gwis's property that had like a little gate so they looked at it and they went there just trying to see what they could find and immediately as soon as they got off of Gwis's property it really wasn't like that much of a distance they noticed that something had recently been burned like it was a huge fire and someone had also tried to clean it up and also as they were looking around they saw that there was a grave that had recently been dug um, and they thought it was very odd and Anisha's brother remembers as soon as he saw this grave he just like reality just set in and he thought there was a real possibility that you know Gwis had done something to his sister and sister-in-law and they asked him like why there was a grave there and he just said that um, one of his horses had died a week before so they had dug out this grave to bury the horse in. Police officers also went to go search the couple's home and everything looked normal but a couple of things did stand out to them. Number one was that the dishes weren't washed. I'm not too sure why that stood out. Maybe because it showed that they left but they were coming back or I'm not sure maybe they were like very clean people so dishes were always done. They also noticed that their vanity um, case hadn't been packed with like all their toiletries and stuff. Their toothbrushes were still there so it's not like they had left and weren't coming back for a couple of days. It's like everything that was everything that was in the home was supposed to be there and it didn't indicate that they had left and were planning on being gone for a while, if I'm making sense. 
So earlier in the video, I mentioned that on Anisha and Joey's property, they had two other buildings that were being rented out by tenants. The first tenant was Squiz, and there was another tenant that rented out one of the buildings, like made it their little home. So police officers went to this tenant and just started asking them any like questions, just trying to figure out if they had any information for them. And this tenant told them that he last saw Anisha's Nissan X Trail next door, which was at Squiz's paddle beating. Um, store on Sunday so the day the two women were last seen at this point police officers had called both families in to let them know about all the information that gathered up until that point and they also just wanted to let the families know that they thought it was a high possibility that Joey and Anisha Fanikark had been murdered. So up to this point, police officers had been investigating and immediately after the investigation started, I think on the 11th of December, they had found Anisha's Nissan X trail. It was found in Mahalisburg and it had been completely burnt, like someone had set it alight on a purpose. The second thing is that when they went searching at the couple's home, they did find the phone that Gwiz had apparently given to them um, that Monday. And immediately, as soon as they found this phone, they saw that there were messages coming in. And these messages indicated that um, their cards, their bank cards had been used um, to withdraw money as well as to make large purchases. So some of these purchases included them buying cell phones, um, they bought a TV, used to buy groceries as well as some alcohol. After discovering that their bank cards had been used, police officers tried to find the location um, where these purchases were made and it led them to a couple of shopping complexes in um, a neighboring community but it isn't like a community that Anisha and Joey would go to so this immediately stood out to them. It was like those shopping complexes in like townships and they don't think that Joey and Anisha would go out of their way to go to those um, townships because they also had like stores closer to them and they also weren't known to go do their shopping there. So once they discovered these shopping complexes, they looked at CCTV footage and on the CCTV footage, they saw the person using the card as well as the people that he was um, shopping with. And CCTV footage also showed them a car that the person was driving and it was a Nissan Sentra and after this they kind of like follow CCTV footage like on the route they thought they would be driving on and they saw that this car stopped at a petrol station to pour petrol and the car was also used there and once they got to the petrol station they looked at that CCTV footage and it was so clear that they managed to see the number plates and as soon as they got this number plates they looked it up and they found the owner. The owner of the Nissan Sentra was Colin Mudau so police officers managed to track him down and immediately he confessed to them and told them that he was the one that was using the bank cards however he didn't know that the bank cards were stolen. He told police officers that he was given the bank cards by his uncle named Alex Mudawu and he says that on Saturday night if I'm not mistaken he went to go pick up his uncle Alex Mudawu and as soon as he picked him up Alex gave him like these two cards and told him you know what I've been paid I have money like let's go shopping type thing and then he also told the police officers that 
he also found out that the cards not only belonged to Alex but belonged to two of his co-workers and their names were James and Jack Sitole. James and Jack Sitole were brothers from Mozambique and police officers also discovered that all three men were working for a man and his name was Squiz Stredo. Colin then led police officers to James and Jack and both of them tried running away but fortunately police officers managed to arrest Jack. James on the other hand managed to escape and he ran up into the mountains and then later that night police officers decided to return and just wait by the mountains that James had ran up into and because they knew that he had to come down eventually like he couldn't stay there forever so they were just waiting for him to come down so that they could arrest him and eventually he did come down but he had disguised himself as a woman he had put in like these fake boobs he had a wig on he was dressed as a woman and immediately police officers saw him and they were like you're not gonna get away with this we know who you are and that's when they arrested him after Alex found out that James and Jack had been arrested, he also ran away, but the next day, I don't know, maybe he felt guilty or he just thought he would get arrested at some point, he decided to turn himself in. So now police officers have managed to arrest Alex, James, Jack and Colin. However, Colin was released because it was discovered that he really didn't know that the bank cards had been stolen and yeah, he had used the cards because his uncle had told him to use it but he had no part in it. Not too long after having been arrested, Jack decided to give police officers a full confession and his confession led police officers to Vincent Stridom who was Chris's son as well as Mariska Opperman who was Vincent's girlfriend and they had been hiding out at Mariska's mom's farm. Then on the 31st of December 2017, almost 20 days after Anisha and Joey had first been reported missing, Mariska Opperman pointed police officers to where they could find their bodies. After this, police officers all gathered by the area. It was like a very bushy area next to a road. And police officers held hands, walked into the area, and immediately they found a white plastic bag. And when they opened it, they found burnt pieces of a body or bodies. Anisha and Joey's families were then called into the police station and police officers asked if they could take some DNA swabs from them because they had found um, something related to the case and I'm sure their families already knew that it wasn't going to be good news. The skeletal remains were then taken to a forensic anthropologist and she notices that there were so many pieces of bones, however, they couldn't make up a full body. But as she was looking at these pieces of burnt like bones, she noticed that there were two femurs from the left side, which indicated that these skeletal remains belonged to two people, not one as she had initially thought. DNA evidence then um, came back positive and it identified some of the remains belonging to Anisha. However, it couldn't confirm that the other skeletal remains belonged to Joey Fanigar. During Jack's confession, he confirmed that both Joey and Anisha Fanigark had been taken to Quiz Stridom's farm and this is where they were killed and burned. After hearing this information, police officers went to go arrest 
with Stratum. Vincent, Quiz's son, says that the Stratum family basically ruled Rustenburg. I should know, I'm from, I'm from Rustenburg and I've never heard of them before this case, but you know, probably just ruled like certain parts of Rustenburg. But anyways, he says that their family ruled Rustenburg, so because of this, like his father could get away with anything. Like he knew the right people, so even if he was arrested for something, he would never be like convicted and sentenced for those things. And his father was also very persuasive, so he could get anyone to agree to anything. You know, that's just the type of person that his father Quis was. Also, his father had a second wife, and her name was Mercia Stredo. And at the time of this case in 2017, she was only 20 years old, and they already had one child together. I should note that, like, she's 20, and Quirs is, like, old. Like, she was younger than his own son, you know? Like, that's the age gap. That's the age gap. But also, after Gwis and Marisha got together and got married, apparently Gwis became even worse than he already was. They were both just like feeding into each other, like this toxic relationship. As police officers were investigating, they were trying to figure out what would be the motive for Gwis wanting to have Anisha and Joey murdered. And it was discovered that in November, um, a month before the couple was killed, they went to Durban to go visit Joey's mom, that's where she lived, and they told her that they basically just wanted to sell their plot of land and wanted to move to Durban to just start a new life, open up a new business maybe like a cash and carry or something like that and they just wanted to start over and Joey's mom asked if they had told like her dad that they were planning on selling this plot of land and they said no they wanted to keep it a secret they didn't want him to know and I'm just assuming it's because he wouldn't be happy that they wanted to sell like such a large piece of land you know but they kept it a secret from him and he never knew apparently one of Joey and Anisha's tenants heard that they wanted to sell the plot of land so he went up to them and he offered them 1.3 million rand for it however they declined this offer and said that they wanted to sell it for 1.7 million and the reason was because they still owed um, the bank some money for like a bond or something like that so they couldn't afford to sell it for any less and somehow Gwis also found out about them wanting to sell this plot of land and as I mentioned earlier Gwis was said to be very persuasive so somehow he had managed to like persuade them to sell the land to him. On the 7th of December Gwis and Anisha were discussing the contract for selling this plot of land and this is when Gwis decided to call his lawyer and his name was Adrian Nal and he had been the Stradom's family's lawyer for decades Decades, but he mainly represented Gwis. So they called him up, he showed up at the house and they basically told him that they want like Anisha and Joey wanted to sell this plot of land and he was like okay I'm busy so like I can't draft up the contract right now but let me just take out a piece of paper, let me just make some notes about what you guys agree on and then on Monday, so the day that 
the women were reported missing, they were supposed to all meet up so he could draft this contract officially and they would sign it. And in this contract, he had written in his notes that they were selling it for two million and was told Anisha that he would give her one million rand in cash once they signed the contract uh, because he already had it, like it wasn't a problem for him to give them this one million rand. And um, Adrian asked Anisha if she was fine with this. She said yes, and he said, all right, I'll see you guys Monday, and that was the end of it. During police officers' investigation, they also found another man that worked for Gwis, and his name was Moses Rakuba. And he met Gwis whilst he was working at AA Windscreens, and Gwis asked if he wanted a job, and he said yes. At this point, Moses had been driving around, I think like a truck, but he didn't have a license, so Gwis wanting him to work, like Gwis wanting him to work for him. Gwis wanting him to work for him. Yes, um, he thought like it was a great opportunity, he would make more money and just things like that. So basically they would transport like um, paint cans that had aluminium in them and then after the cans had been used they would take them back and take them to the panel beating store. On the 10th of December, Gwis called up Moses and told them to come to the panel beating shop. So Moses went there and immediately once he got there, uh, Gwis told him that he had one of his customers cars on his farm and that he should go there. So after this merger, Gwis's wife drove both Moses and Alex to the farm. After dropping the two off on the farm, Mersha then went to run a couple of errands and she went to go buy the pool acid rope and she also went to an internet cafe and this is where she asked one of the workers to just type out something for her and this was basically a contract. Joey and Anisha went to Gwis's farm because they thought that they were going to sign the contract for selling their plot of land. However, once they got there, it, it wasn't what they expected. Immediately, Alex and Jack took Joey into a container that Gwis had on his farm, and then Moses and James took uh, Anisha into the house. So whilst Joey was in the container, it is said that Jack sexually assaulted her. And afterwards, while they were busy torturing both women, like one was in the house, one was in the container, they were being tortured and tied up. Somehow, Joey had convinced Jack to call Gwis. So Gwis received a phone call from Jack and it was Joey on the phone. And she was basically just like pleading with him and telling him that, you know what, you don't have to do this. There's other ways for us to resolve this. You know, like you don't have to resort to this. And this is when Gwis decided to leave his panel beating store and go to the farm. And Mersha had somehow overheard this conversation and she told Gwis that it's too late now, like we can't let them go because if we do, we're going to get in trouble. And this is when Gwis decided that, you know, she's right. And then she told the men, he told the men that they had to kill the woman. The men then went looking for wires and once they found them they decided to tie a noose with the wires they had found as well as a rope that Marisha had bought. So Joey was already in the container and the container had hooks on top of it so they decided to put the noose around her neck and like put the wire rope through the hook and try to hang Joey but however this container wasn't that long so like she could basically stand like she couldn't hang because it wasn't that high like 
you know but this is when they decide to come up with another plan so one person would basically like push on her chest to kind of like make her fall back and another person would like pull the rope and this would choke her and this is what they did to Joey and once she was deceased they went inside the house they got Anisha and they proceeded to do the same thing after the two women were dead, Jack told the men that, you know, we can't leave them like this. We have to, like, burn them. So this is when they decided to take um, a dozen, like, those huge municipality dozens. And they took them to the area just off of Worcester's property, the one that police officers had discovered earlier on in the investigation that had been burnt. So they took the bin there and then they put Joey's body inside. They went to get Anisha's body, put her body on top of Joey's and then they put firewood on top of their bodies and doused their bodies in petrol and then lit it up. And after this, they then got Vincent's girlfriend, Marishka, to put the bodies in a plastic bag and then dump them. Gwyneth then went to his son Vincent at around half past 11 that evening and once he got there he told Vincent to drive the car and afterwards they followed each other until they were about 20 kilometers away from Randfontein and after this, this is when Gwyneth said uh, Joey Suzuki alight and they just left the car there and that's where it was found the next day. There was so many people involved in this case and it was Squirce, his son Vincent, Vincent's girlfriend Marishka, there was Mersha who was Squirce's wife, there were Squirce's workers Moses, Alex, Jack and James. So there were literally eight people involved in this case. However, it was like Squirce was the mastermind behind it and police officers knew it would be very difficult to prosecute all of them, especially Squirce because Squirce was the type of person to tell people to tell people what they should do and not get his hands dirty type of thing so that he couldn't be like convicted or like linked to it you know or they wouldn't have enough evidence to convict him because he didn't he he didn't do anything you know so they knew that in order for them to get enough evidence to prosecute all of them especially because they needed to have state witnesses and i don't know how but somehow they managed to convince moses to become a state witness and also the reason why moses wants to become a state witness is because he felt really bad about what he, what he had done and he thought this would kind of be like his redemption you know vincent also decided to become a state witness because he didn't want to be he didn't want to be a part of it he didn't want to go to jail for his father's crimes and at some point whilst they were in prison his father literally told vincent to take all the blame to say that he's the one that did it and his father told him that he would take care of him whilst he was in prison and i'm assuming because vincent decided to become a state witness his girlfriend marishka also decided to become a state witness so now the state had three witnesses somehow Gwes found out about these state witnesses and Moses had to move prisons so whilst Gwes was putting out this hit on the witnesses including his own son Marisha his wife was out on bail so he was still in prison and there's literally footage of him telling her what to do as well as the man the one that's recording it I'm not too sure like what his part is in it or if he was the hitman or what but there is literal footage of him wanting 
like putting out a hit on these witnesses but he didn't manage to like get to to get to them and the trial proceeded and after Vincent and Moses took the stand Quis just lost his mind he started shouting at his lawyer because somehow like I don't know why but his lawyer told him that um, they wouldn't get on the stand and they wouldn't be state witnesses but they were and he wasn't having this and after their little fight um, the lawyer decides to ask for a postponement a post postponement in the trial then on the 20th of September 2009 Quis Stredom was rushed to hospital after wardens found him unconscious in his cell and he had committed suicide. Court proceedings then carried on for almost three years until sentencing in the Pretoria High Court on the 15th of October 2020. James Sitole, 37, Jack Sitole, who was 21, Alex Mudaw, who was 39, and Marcia Stredom, who was 24, were found guilty on multiple charges, including murder, rape, robbery with aggravating circumstances, kidnapping, theft, defeating the ends of justice, and the unlawful possession of firearms and ammunition. Marcia Stradom and Alex Mutawu received two life sentences, while the two brothers, James and Jack Sitole, each received four life sentences. Vincent and his girlfriend Marishka Oberman, as well as Moses Rakabu, were not convicted because they became state witnesses and apparently not in our constitution, if you become like a state witness, you can't be convicted because you helped the state. 